So glad to have all of our first time guests here today. Let's give all of our guests a hand. Welcome home. And uh, Friday, we had a great Veterans Day program here as part of uh, MAPS, and we honored, I think, 50-some veterans. Uh, why don't we do that one more time? If you're a vet and you're in the house today, please stand so we can thank you. Come on, let's thank all of our vets. Please stand at this time. Uh, I think we can do better than that. Let's let them really know how much we appreciate them and their service. All right, we're uh, gonna be in Luke chapter seven today, and I wanna speak for a few minutes today on beyond words. And in Luke chapter seven, it says, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought a alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. Notice he didn't say it out loud. Anybody else ever done that? Like, I better not say this out loud. But he thought to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered to him. Well, isn't that amazing that, that Jesus read his mind and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. I have something to say to you. And we'll stop there for now. But we see in this setting that Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house named Simon. And I imagine that Simon had all of his Pharisee friends come over because that's the only people Pharisees eat with. That's the only people Pharisees hang out with to wine and dine Jesus, so to speak, and to welcome him into town and, and to be seen with him and to be known by him. And who are Pharisees? Well, Pharisees are very strict rule followers. They were the uh, strictest of the strict of Jesus' day. And they put a lot of uh, effort and time into appearances. And so they are having Jesus over, not because they want to follow him, not because they're necessarily sold on him. It's that they want to be seen by him. They want him to give them credibility because he's the latest, uh, greatest teacher. And so they want him to be at their house so they can say that they had Jesus. It wasn't that they were committed to him. It wasn't that they were necessarily following him or that their heart was with them. They wanted the appearance of what he could give in terms of credibility to them. And that's, that's the danger of becoming a Pharisee is it's not about what's happening at church. It's I want to be seen at church. It's not about uh, my heart being with Jesus. It's that I want to be seen as being associated with Jesus. And that is the battle that the longer you come to church, the longer you call yourself a Christian, we all have to fight that spirit, the spirit of appearances. That it's not about 
Jesus so much is it's about what comes with him. It's not about his presence. It's about what he can give me. And so Pharisees, they thought that they, the, how you get in with God is that you follow the rules and you're just a quote-unquote good person. And the better a person you are, the more God is pleased with you. Now, how many knows that obeying God is important? That's important. But at the end of the day, you can obey all the rules and your heart still be far from God. And we have to always be on guard against uh, the, the spirit of performance and, and that our, our, our heart has to drive our actions, not the other way around. Our actions can never, ever put us in good standing with God. It, it starts with our heart. It starts with a, a humble spirit. It starts with a, a desire to want to know him. And, and we cannot get that around. And, and that's what happened with the Pharisees. And ultimately, they will be the people who kill God. Isn't that ironic? And, and so why did Satan have, or why did Satan, why did Simon, little slip of the tongue there. Why did Simon have Jesus over? Well, he wanted to be seen with Jesus. And he wasn't opposed to Jesus as long as he affirmed him and affirmed what he wanted. And there's a lot of Simons in the world today, aren't there? I'm with Jesus until he rebukes my sin. I'm with Jesus until he puts his finger on what's wrong with me and corrects me. I'm with Jesus as long as he's with me. And how many knows that you have to be, it's not a question as whether God is on your side. The question is, are you on God's side? Are you, are you on the side of Jesus? And so we, we see in this story that they're having this nice dinner party. Simon, I imagine he went through a very selective process Maybe he sits down with his wife and, and they go through a list of, of people who they want to have over at the house. And, and, well, we probably shouldn't invite them because they had marriage problems a couple years ago and we don't really know what happens. And, and you know, maybe we shouldn't invite them because that would look bad. And, and they go through this very selective process. Did you know that, that Jesus isn't near as picky about who comes to the table as you are sometimes? And so they parse it down and they think they have the right people at the right party to impress Jesus when this woman comes and just turns the party upside down. How many knows that a lot of times our religious parties need to be turned upside down? And a woman hears that Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. And she doesn't care that she wasn't invited. She doesn't care that she doesn't have the street cred. She doesn't care that they don't want her there. All she knows is that Jesus is there, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get to where Jesus is at. And I want to tell you that, that that is a life lesson. That is a life principle that we all need to follow is that get to where Jesus is. Because it doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about pleasing him. So who was this woman? Well, Simon just calls her a sinner. Now, never in the text does it say 
that she's a prostitute, but traditionally that's been the conclusion that people come to, which is interesting that we think the only type of sinner that a woman can be is a prostitute. We don't know that. She might have been the town gossip. I know that, you know, we don't think that's bad, but it really it is. Uh, she, she could have been someone that, that just, she w- didn't keep her word. Maybe she was a liar. We, we don't know what she was, but it was enough that everybody knew what her issue was. And she comes into this religious party and she disrupts things. The attitude of everybody at this party would have been, what is she doing here? Why is she here? And Simon, I can imagine, is just an absolute whore as he sees this woman come in and and he and his wife, they spent hours on this guest list. How did she slip through the cracks? What is she doing here? And she comes in and she shows Jesus an act of worship that has rarely been seen or may have never even been seen on his time in earth. And we have to be careful that we think that we have the corner on who can worship Jesus, on who can show him adoration. Because oftentimes it's the people who are the worst who give him the most. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, what's it say? It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of what? God. Anything that we have, do you know that your faith is the gift of God? God gave you the gift of faith. Any, anything that I've done, it, it was the gift of God. And he says this, he finishes, Paul says this, lest anyone should boast. We need to be a people that we're just happy that somebody is wanting to be close to Jesus. We're just happy that there's people today that maybe they don't have it all together and maybe they have a checkered past. But you know what? The fact that they're here and they want to be close to Jesus is a win. Come on, does anybody want to be close to Jesus? Does anyone want to bring people close to Jesus? And the first point I want to give us today is this. I think there's five things that we can see from this woman. And the first one is this. She forgot about herself and completely focused on Jesus. I know too many times at church, I am focused on me. I'm focused on, do I like this song? Do I approve of this song? Is it too slow, too fast? Or, or you know, I'm, does my, my coat look all right? Does, do I match? Did, did one of my kids slobber all over my coat? Which is becoming too frequent. When we need to learn, it's not about me at all. It's not about what I'm representing. It's not about what anything I'm doing. It's completely about Jesus. And this woman didn't care who was around. She didn't care that these people didn't like her. That she didn't care that they thought she was trash. She didn't care about any of their opinions. All she knew is that Jesus was there and she had a chance to worship him. He was close and he might not be in her vicinity ever again in his time on earth. And so she was gonna make the most of her opportunity. And I wonder if if we could come to church like that, if we could wake up like that. I have one more day to be in the presence of Jesus. I have one more time 
to be in God's service. I have one more time to be at church. And I wonder if we could cherish and if we could appreciate the fact that we are in the presence of Jesus. Is anybody glad to be in the presence of Jesus today? I, I may not have on the most fashionable thing. I, I may not have on the best clothes, but none of that matters. I'm in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And she abandoned everything to show Jesus that she loved him. You know, most people wouldn't have done what this woman did because they would have been embarrassed. They would have been embarrassed by the people around them and her state. They would have been embarrassed to do what she's about to do. But you know that she didn't let who she was keep her from showing who Jesus is. And so many times our opinion of ourselves is so high that it keeps us from showing and really worshiping Jesus the way we need to worship him. She abandoned everything about her. And worship isn't about you. Do you know that? Worship's not about you at all. It's completely about God. And we don't worship for us. And I think that's something that we have misconstrued and that we have messed up. Sometimes we preach, you know, worship so you can be blessed. Worship so the glory will come down. And I believe all that. I believe that that is a benefit of worship, is that God touches me. But that is not my first priority in worship. Do you know that my first priority in worship is to minister to Jesus, that he inhabits the praises of his people. He loves it when we lift up our hands. He loves it when we lift up our voices. Did anybody come here today to minister to the King of Kings? Did anybody, I wish I could get a few people to minister to Jesus right now, that I didn't come for what I like. I didn't come for what makes me comfortable. But I came to lift up the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I wish somebody would be a worshiper and worship him today. Come on. Worship is primarily an attitude about God that we display in every part of our being. And this woman's worship went beyond words and went to actions. And you see, worship's not just something that we do on Sunday morning. It's something we do every day. And this woman found out where Jesus was. And she did what she had to do to get to him, to show him what she felt about him. Do you know that's what worship is? Worship is about you showing Jesus how you feel about him. It's not about showing up at the right building at the right time. It's about showing Jesus our feelings about him. Do you know that you have to feel for him? You've got to have a heart for him. And when this woman starts to show Jesus how she feels, she begins to minister to him. Simon has a problem with it. Pharisees have a problem with it. She knew that she was in the presence of God. And that's all that matters. There's a man that used to come to this church and, and he would blow horns, he had tambourines. Brother Mike, anybody remember him? Sorry. Yes, he had flags. 
And I have to be honest with you, at first, I didn't like it. It's a little over the top. It's a little bit distracting. And I'm just being honest, it was. It was a little bit loud. But over time, I learned to respect that man's worship because over time, he showed me it was 100% sincere. There was nothing ostentatious about it. There was nothing fake about it. That's how he felt about Jesus. And the Pharisee in me had to be brought down a little bit because there's going to be people who they don't worship Jesus the same way I worship Jesus. And that doesn't mean it's not sincere. Come on, somebody. We've got to be open to people expressing themselves. Number two, her worship was costly. It says that she took an alabaster jar of perfumed oil, and this oil was probably a year's worth of wages, and she broke it, and she poured it out on the feet of Jesus. It was probably the most expensive, precious thing that she owed, and she poured it out on the feet of Jesus. Her gift was valuable. It was costly. And and we talked about in the altar series that worship is costly. Worship will cost you something. Worship looks like I'm in a bad mood, but I'm gonna praise God anyway. Anybody ever been in a bad mood? I, I know you never get in a bad mood on Sunday morning. That never happens. The kids never go crazy on Sunday morning. You know, you never wake up on Sunday morning just wishing you could take a break. And, you know, but when you show up with a spirit of praise and worship, when you don't feel like it, when you serve God, when you don't feel like it, when we take what's most precious to us and we lay it on the altar, that is where true worship begins. And so she was giving something that was cherished that she wasn't going to get back. And she poured it out on the feet of Jesus. And true worship is when we surrender our life, when we surrender our time, when we surrender things that we will never, ever get back. That's when we tap in to true worship. And when I I think of people that have given years of their life to this church and to the ministries of this church, I, I think of people that have given every Sunday of their life to this church. Those are Sundays that they'll never get back but they were pouring out something on the feet of Jesus that was costly, that was showing him, God, I'm just glad to be in your presence one more time. How many knows that every sacrifice that we give as an act of worship is worth it? And so all forms of worship must be a sacrifice. It's not worship if it's not a sacrifice. We worship in our time, our talent, our treasure. We worship that, that those tithes and offerings that you give. Technically, you will never get them back. Now, I, I believe that God blesses us as a result of that in so many ways that we can't even count. However, that's so important. Bishop was talking a few minutes ago about giving. When we give, that is an act of worship. When we go above and beyond and we don't think God sees it and maybe no one else knows what we gave, that is an act of worship that God cherishes. And when we are giving to God, you cannot outgive God. Can somebody testify to that today? 
You cannot give him too much worship. And so we're compelled to give our best. This is why it's so important to see this. We give our best in worship because he gave his best in Jesus. This woman was the only worshiper at this party because she was the only one who knew and recognized who Jesus was. And I want to tell you, when you lose your worship, you have lost the revelation of who Jesus is. And as long as you can keep a revelation of who Jesus is, you will always be a worshiper. As long as you keep a revelation of who Jesus is, you will always be a giver. If you always keep your revelation of who Jesus is, you will always live for him. I wish somebody would preach for me with, with me today. You need to, some of us have forgotten that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Some of us have forgotten how he saved us, how he brought us out of the miry clay and put us on a rock to say. Some of us have forgotten how God has blessed us. Has God blessed anybody today? Does anybody but still believe that Jesus is God? Does anyone still believe that Jesus has all power? And he's in this house today, and he can change your life if you just reach out to him. You'll, you won't lose your heart for the house of God as long as you remember who is in the house. Number three, she was humble and wasn't ashamed. To show her emotion. She was humble and wasn't ashamed to show her emotion. Verse 38 says that she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash her feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. This woman showed it one of the most uh, outlandish acts of worship during Jesus' earthly time. And it wasn't the religious people who were at the party that worshiped. It was the sinner. And I want to walk us through what she did. First of all, she crouched at his feet. Worship starts at the feet of Jesus. Worship starts when you lower yourself. You lower your opinions. You lower who you think you are. You lower what you think God owes you. You lower all of the credibility that you've put in yourself and what you can do. And she crouched at the feet of Jesus. We, we need more people that will crouch at the feet of Jesus instead of walking to him demanding stuff. Demanding, God, give me, give me, give me. When we worship him, we start at the feet of Jesus. She knew that she wasn't worthy. No one had to tell her, you're not worthy. Everybody else at the party had to be told that, but not her. She knew who she was. She knew her track record. She knew her problems. She knew her shortcomings but she also knew that Jesus was greater. And she crouched at the feet of Jesus. And when we realize how sinful we are, 
When we realize how much we need God, we will always stay at the feet of Jesus. When we realize where God brought us from, did you know today that you're sick and you need a savior? You are sick and you need to say, you know, we sing songs like, it is well with my soul. And it sounds so religious, it sounds so, when really, you know what we need to sing? I am sick in my soul. I am sick, I am sick. I don't think I can go any higher. You're sick. Well, I've been coming to church for 30 years and tithing. You're sick. Your kids are sick. Yeah, but my, my, my grandma helped build this church. She was sick too. And every time we come into this building, we have to come with the posture, I'm sick and I need a savior. I'm broken and I need a savior. It is not well, I need help. I need a savior, and she knew. The one worshiper in the room knew that. When you have a revelation of Jesus and you have a revelation of who you are, it will change your perception of worship, and we have to live at the feet of Jesus. You've gotta live there. You've gotta live every day, every morning. You've gotta get up and that, Lord, I could mess this whole thing up with just one mistake today. I, I could turn my life into a tailspin or, or something can happen today that will completely change my future. And so, God, I need you today. Does anybody need Jesus? Does anybody admit today I'm sick and I need a physician? And so when we see in Scripture, you know what the most common form of worship, the most common form of, of, of posture of worship is bowing. And that's why there, there's something powerful about in prayer, bowing before the Lord, where you take on a literal posture of neediness and say, Jesus, I need you. The, the next thing she did is she began to weep so much that she washed his feet with her tears. That, that's a lot of tears. That's a lot of emotion. You know that, that worship, we worship God emotionally. And it's okay to be stoic. I'm, I can be stoic sometimes. But we also need to reach a place where we worship God emotionally. It should drive you to tears sometimes. It should drive you to joy. And so sometimes it looks like dancing. Sometimes it looks like tears. Sometimes... We stand in awe, but whatever it is, worship should drive you emotionally. She became emotional when she approached Jesus. I've talked to so many people that say, well, I'm just not an emotional worshiper. Then you go to their 10-year-old son's basketball game. They go to an event that nobody will remember in 10 years. And they're shouting there's jumping, there's yelling. Why? Because you're emotional about something you care about. You can tell me, 
you're not emotional all you want to. You get emotional about what you care about. And that's why we don't make apologies today if some people get emotional. Because you, if you knew their story, you would be emotional too. Come on, is, is anybody emotional when you think about Jesus? She got emotional. And I want you to think about all the things that will make you emotional. It could be the loss of your child. I know I would get emotional. Well, guess what? Jesus gave up his life. If that doesn't make you emotional, if the cross doesn't make you emotional, nothing else will. You have to turn. Part of God having our heart is that he has our emotions. And some of us need to loosen up and some of us, we need to not be afraid to get emotional about Jesus. Men, real men get emotional about Jesus. Real men pray with their kids emotionally. Real men intercede emotionally for the future of their family. I, I, I'm so glad today that we have men in this church, we have women in this church that aren't afraid to be emotional about what God has done for them. Because he made us emotional people. And there's no one who loves you more than Jesus. And if there's any reason to get emotional in life, it's for Jesus. Number, the third thing she did is this, that she wiped his feet with her hair. And here, here's what we have to understand is that, number one, these people are mad that she's even there. It didn't matter if she would have just stayed in the corner and waited around to clean up, you know, and wash dishes. That would have made a map. But not only is she there, she takes center stage. And what we have to realize is, is that they would have been aghast at this, what this woman did. Because let's, let's just assume that tradition's right and she was a prostitute. She comes before the feet of Jesus. She cries, all these tears. But here's what would have really taken them back. She unbinds her hair, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, we culturally have to understand what was going on here. And you, you go to Israel, you go to Middle Eastern countries, and this is still true today. Women do not show their hair because it, it would seem to have a sexual quality to it. And, and a, a, a woman, uh, not to get too graphic, but a woman, when a woman got married on her honeymoon night, the first thing she would do was unbind her hair because it was very likely her husband had not seen it until that point. And so let's just think for a minute. Here we have a woman who we're assuming has a history that's very checkered sexually, and she begins to unbind her hair, and she shows Jesus how much she loves him by wiping her tears with her hair. And to the carnal people, they would have said, there she goes again. But Jesus saw something completely different. Because what, what the scripture tells, tells us that a woman's glory is her hair. And he saw she was taking her glory and giving it to him. She not only worshipped him emotionally, 
She worshiped him physically. And Pharisees do not like when people get too emotional and when people get too personal. This was a very personal act of worship. It was a very intimate display of worship that got the attention of Jesus. Point number four, her worship went beyond words. It went beyond singing the right songs at the right time on 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. There was no record. Here's what's so remarkable about the story. There's no record in this story of her saying anything to Jesus. She doesn't sing to him. She doesn't say anything to him. All that she does goes beyond words. It is in actions. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees saying that these people draw near to me with their mouth. Pharisees are great at saying the right things. Pharisees are great at singing the right songs. They're, they're great at all the right outward actions. But he says this, that they honor me with their lips, but what their heart is far from me. I want to be a worshiper that goes beyond words and taps in to the heart of Jesus. I want my heart to be with Jesus. I don't want my, just my lips and my mouth and my words to be with Jesus. But I want my heart. Does anybody here today want to move the heart of Jesus with your worship? The Pharisees, they were outraged by what happened. And we see a shift in the story. Verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, when the Pharisee who saw this, Simon saw this, he thought to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. You see, this man, he, he qualified this woman's worship based on what she was and what she did. His view of worship is this, is that she should get her life together and if she stays good, well, let's just say a year, if she, she really acts well for a year, then maybe we'll let her in the party. If she proves to us that she's changed, then maybe we'll let her worship. And Jesus answered to him and said, I have something to show you. And he, he said, teacher, say it. You, you know, one of the worst things you can do when Jesus says, I have something to show you, is to say, bring it, because he's going to bring it. And how many knows that we all have a Pharisee spirit in us that needs rebukes from time to time? And Jesus said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them what? Both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you, Simon, at least you got one thing right today. You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house 
You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, Jesus isn't denying that she's a sinner. Jesus isn't denying that she needs to get some stuff together, that she needs to face some problems. He's not denying that. He said, her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. I don't want to tell you, you know how to tap into grace? Always worship Jesus. Did you mess up last night? You still worship Jesus. You know why? Because worship's not about you anyway. It, it doesn't matter what you did last night. You come into the presence of God and you still give him glory. Why? Because it's not about you anyway. I want to show you this. I believe this. Worshipers get extra grace. Jesus said, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And that's the danger of quote unquote living for God is that we forget. Well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done those horrible things that the people on Thursday night do. We don't bring our kids to see our Sunday because we don't want them to hear those types of things. And you probably also haven't worshiped in 10 years because you think it's about you. You think that it's about your performance. And in which case, you have no need for a savior. Congratulations. But to whom much is forgiven, they love much. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but they love much. You know why? Because they're continually reminded, I need Jesus. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. There was one worshiper at that party that day, and it wasn't the righteous people. It was a little woman who knew who she was and knew what she needed from God. Point number five, her worship moved the heart of Jesus. And I just wanna ask us today, have we really come to church, have we really worshiped if it didn't move the heart of Jesus? There's people in the right building at the right place all over America today that's not moving the heart of Jesus. I want us to be a church, I, I want to be a person, I want to be a family, that our worship moves the heart of Jesus. Those who owe more to God often love him more because they know the debt that they were forgiven of. And the, the better we get at performing for God, often there's a coldness that sets in forget that it's grace I'm saved by grace 
Come on, somebody. I'm saved by grace today. At my best, at my best, I'm sick. But in the presence of Jesus, I'm made whole. And religion will disqualify us based on what we've done and who we are. But here's the good news. Jesus qualifies us based on what he's done and what he is. And what has he done? He lived a perfect life. He is completely holy and righteous. He walked this earth for 33 years, committed no sin. He came as the spotless lamb of God. And here's the most important thing. He took on sin for us. He died on that cross. He took on the weight of the world, the sin of the world. He was cursed for our sake. And he was buried and he rose again the third day and he destroyed hell and the grave. He has the keys to our eternity today. And that's why there's no shame in lifting up our hands because it's all about him. Can we stand all over this place today? How many knows it's all about him today? I want to invite somebody to repent today. You know what you have to do to be saved? You gotta be humble. Proud people can't come into the kingdom of God. And so somebody today, I don't care how righteously you've lived and I don't care how unrighteously you lived. You need to come to the altar today. And you need to lay aside your pride and you need to come to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I need you in my life. And that looks, there, there's a word for what that describes, and it's repentance. We need to repent. Every one of us need to repent before the Lord. If you've been away from God, I want to ask you, I want to beg you, put down your pride. Well, you don't know where I've been and what I've done. Well, it doesn't matter. Jesus knows. And you know what will keep a lot of people from repenting is their pride. You gotta lay down that pride. You gotta come to the altar, your pew, wherever it's at, and say, God, I'm giving you my life today. Well, there's nothing I can do to repay God. That's the point. That's the point. There's nothing you can do. And so you've got to trust God. You've got to lay down your pride and say, This is one thing I can't fix. Some of us, your pride is keeping you from getting in the water. You need to get in the water of baptism today. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. Be baptized in the name above every. Do you know that baptism, I, I really believe baptism is a pride test. Some of us, we need to, you've been coming for a while. God's been dealing with you about baptism. You know what? You need to put down your pride and say, I don't care if they put it on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. I'm going to get in the water today because I'm going to show that I believe in Jesus and I trust him. Some of us need to open ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a pride test. It's an act of grace that God fills us with the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite everybody, saint, sinner, everything in between. Let's come to this altar today and let's move the heart of Jesus with our worship. And it starts at the feet of Jesus. I, we have people already on their knees. Come on, let's move to, to the foot of the cross. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. 
There's no exceptional sinners. There's no one that's greater. There's no one that's lesser. We're all saved by grace today. Let's move the heart of God and say, God, I'm giving you everything I have to offer. It's not much.